Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the presenters for Dragon Bites and one of the trainees here in Wales. This week we're going to have the final episode of our COVID in Children series. I was joined by Dr Tom Cromarty, another one of the Dragon Bites hosts, and by two prestigious guests, Dr Camilla Kingdon, the President of the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health, and by Dr David Tuttle, the Royal College's Officer for Wales. Together we all discussed how the Royal College went about reacting to the Covid pandemic and how it came up with its health policies. So if you're interested in how the Royal College creates health policies and how it communicates its positions, this is an episode well worth listening to. It is worth bearing in mind, however, we did record this episode in May, just so as you can keep things in context. Anyway, Let's get started. Right, okay, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dragon Bites. And we are carrying on our series this week about the COVID pandemic. Um, And I've been fortunate enough today to be joined by two absolute um, superstars of paediatrics. We've got um, the president of the Royal College of Paediatrics, uh, Dr. Camilla Kingdon, here with us. And we've got the RCPCH Officer for Wales here with us, Dr. David Tuttle. Um, uh, uh, let me just say hi to everyone first. Hi, hi, hi Dr. Kingdon, how are you? Hi, Asim. It's lovely to be here. And please call me Camilla, because I always feel like a sort of geriatric when people say Dr. Kingdon. Okay, fair enough. I will do. Um, uh, uh, It's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us. I'll quickly just also say hi to Dr. Tuttle as well. Hi again. Call me David. Hi. Nice to see you. Thank you, David. Um, Genuinely an absolute pleasure to have you both here with us. If we're lucky, we might also get another Dragon Bites host in with us, Tom Cromarty, but we'll see. So what we're hoping to discuss today is, um, is health policies and using COVID as a sort of platform to discuss how decisions are made. There's a lot of complex issues around this, and we, we're going to look at it both from a sort of nationwide UK perspective, with, which Camilla is going to help us with, but also about how there can be changes and how things can be implemented slightly differently on a more local level, which is what David's going to be helping us with. Just, um, I think we've had a, a podcast before with yourself, Camilla, we've got to learn all about you, so I'll direct our listeners back there. Um but just in brief, could you just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, becoming our our president and, and, and your current role? Um, thank you very much, Asim. Well, in fact, I'm just about to get to my first, anniver- first year anniversary um, of being college president. So I stepped into the role, taking over from Professor Russell Viner on the 10th of May last year. So joined sort of in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and I've been in the role now for a year. I'm a practicing neonatologist at Guys and St Thomas's in central London. Amazing, thank you. But I strongly recommend to our listeners to go back and listen to our far more in-depth podcast that we had with yourself before. However, David, we haven't actually, I mean, we've, you've been on our podcast before, but we've never really got to know you properly before. Could you just tell us a little bit about your paediatric career to date? Um, because you 
you, you're, you're quite a big name in the UK in paediatrics, but I'm, but I'm sure others would love to get to know you a bit better. Oh, your flattery is very kind, thank you. Um, I Well, I trained in Cardiff, went out to New Zealand to work there for a little bit and then came back to Britain and I had an interest in uh, allergies and medicine safety and then uh, four years ago was uh, appointed an officer of Wales where my sort of college role. So uh, I think that perhaps uh, covers uh, what I've done so far. <laughs> very brief, but um, hopefully we'll get to chat to you a bit more about everything that's been going on with you in, in the future. Right, let's get down to the, the crux of what I was hoping for us to talk about today. So um, I think when, when the COVID pandemic um, first came around, uh, Camilla, I think you, at the time you were the VP for education and training. So it was That's right. Was, yeah. Um, well, uh, you, I mean, you were still present in the college at the time, so hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to offer us some insights. Could you tell us a little bit about the background of COVID and how the college went about reacting to the developments of the pandemic as they first came to light? So, so thank you. So yes, and I think this was probably true across all royal colleges. Is that um, namely that, you know, this was a crisis that was evolving in front of our eyes. We had um, no idea what the future held, but we but we recognised that there were going to be some really important um, issues for the college, as, and as, uh, both in terms of speaking on behalf of the workforce, but also in terms of children. And so um, my predecessor, Russell Viner, convened what we called the COVID-19 Expert Reference Group. And we would meet every single Friday afternoon uh, at five o'clock for an hour. And we had some really excellent experts join us. So people like Professor Sir Andrew Pollard, who people will remember. I was part of the Oxford Vaccine Group. Um, Professor Adam Finn. Uh, who's an infectious diseases expert and member of the JCVI, the Joint Committee for Vaccination and Immunisation. We had other representatives of the infectious diseases community and the research community, as well as uh, our nation's officers. So, David, I think you were a member of that group um, and numerous other clinicians, all meeting at, at, uh, you know, very, very regularly to review what was happening. And we we used that group to help us navigate our way through the various issues that arose. And I, and I guess PIMS TS and the evolution of what was essentially a uh, you know, previously undescribed uh, um, complication of COVID-19, that was probably the first big issue the group had to grapple with and trying to help achieve consensus around. But there were numerous others um, as well. So that became our really, really important and useful group for helping us uh, make the most, you know, the, some really important decisions uh, throughout the pandemic. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because uh, this would have been before we had any real evidence come to light. So we were essentially just relying on the expertise in, in different fields. Am I, am, I, am I getting that right? Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I think, you know, so PIMS-TS being the perfect example, pe people literally didn't know what they were seeing. We were getting anecdotes stories from clinicians around the country but then also internationally and slowly the picture was emerging uh, but we needed to draw on the expertise of our infectious diseases um, and immunology colleagues to try and pull together an understanding of the condition and then crucially how we were going to manage it and, and I think that Royal College is an important role to play there because what we didn't want to find is that children weren't getting an sort of equitable access to good quality care. And so the purpose of that kind of consensus building amongst clinicians on the ground 
really uh, was the, 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 the relevance and importance of it was that we could be able to ensure the children of the UK that actually wherever you lived, you would be uh, able to access good quality care that was informed by a wider national consensus. So I think it, it's those kind of issues where I think the Royal College does have an incredibly important role to play. Mm. It's incredible that you managed to pull together all this expertise in just such a short time frame and start getting some consensus out there. That on its own was is just an incredible, incredible outcome. Well, it was. I, I mean, I, I remember it attending those meetings and you know you you listen to the likes of Andrew Pollard arguing or discussing with Adam Finn and you know it's uh, ex- extremely uh, educational and inspiring um, thing to witness and and I think it's that's the strength of medicine when it's working at its best when we're collaborating and really pooling our knowledge and, and expertise and collaborating with colleagues internationally it was a fantastic thing process to be part of. And and we use that style of working to navigate our way through the various challenges that the pandemic brought us. That's incredible. Um, I mean, David, it'd be also really interesting to hear how this was from a more local perspective. So uh, as the Office for Wales, what was your experience around the initial presentation and, and the response to the pandemic? So I think the Collington Wales had an important role to play, I think, in linking up, say, with this side of Office Dyke. You'd be well aware we've got a, a different flavour of government, this side of Office Dyke, and they decided to take, if I use conservative small c, more policies in that way. Uh, and that's continued to, to this day, I think. So there were quite a few things we we did on this side. Firstly, we, we were linked in with the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, linking up with Frank Atherton, our Chief Medical Officer in Wales. And that provided a really rich resource, and I think between weekly and monthly meetings during the peak of the pandemic, I think the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges was a really useful tool in that and us playing a part. To, I'm not an expert in COVID, but I was trying to get the messages around Wales and take a feedback from Welsh clinicians. So I set up a, a sort of clinical leads group providing somebody from each of the, the hospitals around Wales for a, an ad hoc meeting which we did weekly uh, on a Monday evening and then it's it dropped to less frequently as, as time went on but that gave me a really good feedback around Wales of what clinicians were seeing how it's happening and the live issues in in their uh, hospitals and some of them would be their outpatients at clinics have been closed to move adult uh, people into for the wards other ones it was about the um, inequity in scores about you know what was this scores having a policy and then being able to feed that back into Wales government for for those things so i think uh trying to mimic that uh i suppose the structure well not mimicking it but doing different structure here to try and take those messages out into the group and playing you know full recognition of the role the expert evidence role that came out from the college on a weekly basis was a fantastic update on the evidence that was available for covid so we were using two of our uh, infection experts here siske and dr jennifer evans seeing how they would you know, to guide us on those issues um, so that was a, i found a really helpful thing i'd never known a time like it as college officer i've been there four years now that was certainly the the peak of that i think was a massive uh, a huge amount of time working for the college in both linking up centrally and camilla mentioned the sort of the uh, nation's leads and things how we'd meet up and take those messages out and make sure the college was hearing that and i think the issue about equity across the uk we were living under different governments, different policies, but trying to make sure children had a voice in that and lobbying. So for me, it was into Welsh government, but making sure I was cognizant of what college were doing. I'm sure you're probably going to talk about vaccines in a second, but there's some interesting stories about that and the way um, that worked for us over here. Yeah, thank you very much for that, David. It's, it's interesting hearing hearing how, how the structures 
mirror each other, but they almost serve slightly different functions at the college level, at the local level. So at the college, there were a lot of high level expertise with consensus to filter down. But the local level, it was about uh, the impression I'm getting, David, is it was very much about finding out what the what difficulties people were facing in local level in local areas with staffing workforce with school effects have I got that right I think so but also using our expertise we had in our infectious mm -hmm. disease expertise to, to make sure that message was going through to uh, Welsh government uh, and that that was get, that was going through and we're getting those messages uh, across to them in, in a powerful way um, I think one of the other issues i think it's the most active time for for media interest in children and covid um that came across um we I was mentioned to you about the camilla you convened a vaccine meeting one evening to discuss what should the college's view beyond sort of children i think 12 to 16 year old as that was being proposed at that stage look at the pros and cons and uh the, the evidence of the benefits and harms and, and the the rights of children so that was a, a really helpful meeting literally i think a few days later wales became the first place in, in europe not in europe sorry in in britain to go ahead with the vaccination so you know when the the media came you know gives us a soundbite, Dr. Tuttle, you know, I could give the, the uh, view of the college and, and with, I think, a well-balanced view to come across, um, hopefully, to the to media. And there was a lot of interest in that, both in sort of, you know, nationally on Radio 4, because Wales have done the, been the first one, and then locally on the BBC TV here. So th that was, there was a huge amount of media interest in children's mm -hmm. issues with COVID that I uh, hadn't seen to that degree before. Thank you, David. That's been really helpful. In fact, that works as a really good segue because I really did want to talk a bit more about vaccine policy next. Um, so thinking about um, health policies, you know, vaccination, like we mentioned, is one of the key areas that the college had to form a stance on. Um, so, um, uh, Camilla, I, I don't know if you if you don't mind telling us a bit about the sort of information gathering processes that happened at the college. Um, when it came to deciding what the vaccination policy should be amongst children. Thank you. So we we had anticipated the question needing to be answered in some shape or form, because I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember with the vaccine rollout, you know, they started with the frail elderly and healthcare workers and it rolled sort of down the age groups, didn't it? And so we absolutely knew, knew there was going to come a point when we got to, to um in the first instance, the 12 to 15 year olds. So we'd been able to do quite a lot of exploratory work. We'd gathered the evidence. We'd spoken to experts like Professor Sir Andrew Pollard, Professor Finn, and so on. The topic had come up on numerous occasions in the Friday COVID expert reference group that I just mentioned. And then in addition, the whole issue went to the college's ethics and law committee because we wanted to understand whether there was some ethical issues that we needed to particularly take into consideration um, for that particular age group. And then really importantly, it was also discussed in our children and young people's engagement group, where during the pandemic, um, the and us group, as they're called, had formed what was called the COVID-19 book club. So this was a group of teenagers that was meeting regularly to essentially give a children's angle on some of the kind of key decisions during the pandemic. So we had already asked them to give us their views on vaccination and, and you know, what, what, what the issues were that we needed to consider from a child's perspective. So I think we'd had a really useful lead-in time where we'd gathered all this useful information. And then as David 
mentioned just now, what we did was we convened a Teams meeting one Monday evening that I think we went on for over two hours. And we essentially, um, and it was a superb example of how to build consensus. I think each of us came into the meeting with a kind of our preformed personal view on the matter. But certainly I, for one, found that as we discussed it and as we heard the views around the table from the nation's officers and from all the, uh, the other senior officer group, I actually found my, I don't know, David, whether you found the same thing, I found myself shifting a bit in my position, then I'd shift back because we were listening to each other's particular positions and each person was representing their constituents, as it were. Um, so it was a fantastically useful example of really respectful, thoughtful consensus building. And we eventually got there, whereby actually it, 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 the, everybody agreed in the, in the end on our college position, which was that while we felt that there were some very marginal direct health benefits from the vaccine, but but you know, which we needed to acknowledge, but that the indirect impact of the COVID um, vaccine on children in terms of benefits to mental health, um, benefits to opportunities to go to school and education, we felt uh, allowed us to come out in favour of vaccination. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a, a really fascinating um, experience. And it then allowed us to develop our kind of uh, coherent argument around our, our vaccine position. And as president, I found that incredibly helpful because just a few weeks later, I was asked to go to the Education Select Committee to essentially give evidence as to how the college had reached its position. And you, mm. in these select committees, you get, you know, drilled on a whole, you know, every little bit of the decision. So actually, having been through that process, um, I was very clear in my mind how we got there. And so it, it, it really was an all round extremely um, useful process, which then allowed us to develop our communications packages for parents, for the wider public um, and for our media work. That's really interesting to hear. I mean, it's, it sounds like there was I mean, it, obviously, it was, <laughs> there was a lot of work that was done around it. But also, it's interesting to hear how your personal feelings around everything was being swayed back and forth. Um, uh, what was it like, you know, on a more personal level, developing these policies and, and communicating the policies? How, how, how did you find it, having gone through that? Well, I, I it was, I, oh, I'll be honest, it was quite stressful, um, only be, not because I had any concerns about the decision we'd made, because I was, you know, utterly won over by the process we'd been through. Um, but I knew that it was a contentious issue. I knew that actually the debate for and against vaccination in, in children is quite nuanced. And so actually you need quite a skilled style of communication to get um, your message over. And so um, it, 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 it was certainly, I think, for the college, probably the biggest challenge we faced during the pandemic, because we knew that we had a really crucial role in in, dis in not just decision making, but in the communications piece, because you only need a couple of respected bodies to start casting doubts on something like a vaccine and the media pick it up. And then the next thing, the public pick it up. So we knew we had to be really, really careful about the language we use, mm. about the sort of clarity by which we communicated our decision. So I think um, 
it, it was quite stressful because I kind of felt we had a lot of responsibility at the college and we, and we needed to be sure that we got it right, as it were. Yeah, I can imagine just how, how much pressure there is because so much of what the college will say will be, as David's alluded to already, quoted by the media and pa- passed on to the passed on to the public and the slightest error in in wording yes into all sorts of trouble absolutely yeah no that's absolutely right and and I mean the media uh as you as you'll remember over every decision during the pandemic you know there was just this media frenzy going on and so it was this was just a perfect topic to be misconstrued in the in the press or so we had we had we had really good um our media and comms team at the college is fantastic and so you know, they were really good at supporting us. And also, um, they also support our nation's officers. So I know, you know, I know David um, gets quite a lot of support from our media team um, and also the, the, the policy team. Yeah. In fact, Tom, uh, do you want to pick up at this stage? Because I feel like we haven't heard your voice yet. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, David. Um, thanks. Hi. Thanks very much for everything so far. I think there's clearly some differences between the Royal College and um, the devolved nations. And I thought it'd be really useful to highlight some of the differences in in approaches between Wales and the rest of the UK, um, if that's okay. Well, I think the colleges try to have the same policy across the UK, uh, Tom. Um, One of the things we tried to link into, and I I was conscious of my role and and the results, pardon me, uh, the Office of Scotland and Northern Ireland, how, how they linked in. So we try and maintain the same sort of uh, enthusiasm and rights for children and, and they'd get the same health care. What we did see, of course, is the different policies of the different four governments, how they were different. So uh, yeah. you know, Wales had taken a more uh, precautionary uh, approach to things, uh, letting up of uh, regulations happen more slowly in Wales. Um, we we gave out the first vaccines to, to children and I think initially though vaccination was slow in Wales it then sort of started uh, ramped ahead of the other nations through a different style of approach so they, each nation had done different things with uh, different policies politically and s- some have got varying success rates but I think we tried to lobby in that for the for, for children so I think um, I absolutely agree with the meeting Camilla was mentioned about the vaccination was really helpful for us because that we, I, I think we were able to present the view that I'd taken from Wales, of course, my group of clinicians here, uh, take that into that meeting, represent those views, which were very strongly that actually we really, really wanted to try and ensure schools are kept open as possible for that for the good that does children. Um, and albeit the vaccination benefits for the children were marginal on a, in inverted commas, purely medical or physical basis, that wider perspective um, with the mental health needs and the safeguarding concerns was so important that we felt that vaccination would be supported. That was a strong view I took from Wales into that meeting. And I, I, Camilla was mentioning about the way sort of the meeting sort of moved backwards and forwards and people's views. I, I think that was my recollection of it as well. I think reaching that consensus overall was really helpful. And that then gave me a, a message I could take back to sort of Frank Atherton and, and the others here in Welsh Government and say, look, this is the, the, the college's view. Um, it is about finally balanced decision. And then we also carried that over to the media. I think uh, I got a phone call late one, I, think it was, I can't remember, it was a Wednesday night at about sort of seven or eight o'clock in the evening. And then they were texting, would you go on Radio 4? I thought it was a joke at first. But then I got the phone call and they realised it wasn't. So <laughs> there was me sort of in my uh, sort of front room on, on WhatsApp trying to do a meeting with Radio 4 and realising, please don't get this wrong, my mother will be listening or something like that. Probably. <laughs> Anyway, so thankfully she, she was asleep. She didn't listen to me, of course. <laughs> Never does anyway. Um, but, it was, uh, but, you know, it was quite interesting because you, you realise sometimes that um, I was conscious. It, sometimes Radio 4, it's a very adversarial thing. It was the 
interview sort of having a go mm. at you or setting up oh here's Dr. a person who believes in vaccines and here's some uh but body who doesn't let me put it in that, in that term that something else could less uh, generous could have escaped my lips just then uh, perhaps isn't helpful but you know i was wondering if i was going to be set up for a kind of uh barrage of, uh, so i yeah. took a, what i thought was a reasonable approach and funny if i've had a few people who aren't anything to do with medicine say well i heard you on the radio i thought you said what was was good common sense or something so i thought great i think college's message that i conveyed came over as sensible and i think if we're able to do that we've probably hit about the right balance getting that risks and benefits for advocating for children so i think tom that was a long way around again mm. different political things different political ways that they cope with covid and restrictions vaccination policies but the college try to represent children equally throughout the the four nations and i think both my sort of feeding it out into wales and getting back uh, colleagues views and then feeding that up into uh, our college position I, I think altered our college position in, and I think ad, uh, favorably in, in representing those views so I think it was a really powerful example I think kind of uh, demo democracy in the mm -hmm. college albeit um, the you know this was a, an ad hoc group that I sort of set up there is a we have an executive committee which with the you know, with the pressure of the decision needed to be taken, we did that as an ad hoc thing. The normal decision-making body of the college would obviously be through its executive committee in Wales. Um, so a, you know, now we're getting on a more even st steady level uh, as we're sort of coming to a, well, not the end of COVID, but the kind of uh, a more st steady, stable phase. Uh, the decision-making will be taken through the exec committee in Wales uh, and feeding those decisions up. But it, 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 there was a huge amount happening so very, very quickly. And I'm sure you probably will remember a government announcement would come out, uh, or Welsh government one here and uh, from Westminster to the other side of Office Dyke. You would get those uh, differing uh, announcements and we'd have to respond to them uh, with a, a common sense approach for children. Yeah, I think that kind of one, yeah, one approach across all of the devolved nations is really useful, kind of keeping clarity as well. As we've, well, we're not coming out the back of it, as we're, we're moving into a different phase of, of the pandemic, what do you think are, well, to both of you really, what, if maybe we start with Camilla, what do you think are some of the take-home points for future events, similar events, um, and some of the the learning points that you've had from this and what we could take forward to, yeah, something that might happen in the future, not necessarily, you know, a change with COVID if there's a different strain that's worse, but similar um, types of um, new novel um, experiences. Shall I, shall I kick off? Uh, because I think, I think the thing that I've learned, um, and I think we've all learned, is the power of collaboration um, and the importance of keeping the child at the heart of these decisions and so I suppose I'm, um, I'm thinking about it at the moment you know we've got this um, sudden increase in the number of cases of hepatitis nationally where we don't actually understand exactly what's causing it and there's a lot of uncertainty about how to treat these children Actually, what's really interesting is we can use the same methodology and styles of collaboration that we used around COVID to tackle this. And so actually, I'm starting to see that actually we've got a really useful way of working. I think we've got used to these on, you know, online virtual meetings. So we've got the speed at which you can convene people. But I think what we've learned is that if we want to create an equity of access of care for children, whether it's COVID, whether it's hepatitis, whether it's something else, then we really do have to kind of get all the experts in the room, try and achieve a consensus, even when you're not quite sure what you're dealing with, but you get experts to say, this is how we're going to muddle through this. Um, 
making sure that no child in any part of the country is left behind mm. so that it's not a postcode lottery, whether you can you know, have access to a liver center, for instance, you know, thinking about the current hepatitis question, um, so that we're keeping the heart, the child at the heart of our decision making, but, but really using our power as pediatricians to collaborate, to share expertise, underpinning it sometimes with um, our academic colleagues and the ability to sort of look at um, difficult, unanswered questions in a rigorous scientific kind of way to try and achieve more knowledge. So I think COVID has taught us some really, really useful styles of working, which I think, um, you know, just as you were describing, we can easily now extrapolate and use in other clinical situations. And I, and, and of course, that, that could become European collaboration. It could become an international collaboration. Certainly with the Omicron variant we did at the college level, did some fantastic collaboration with colleagues in South Africa, because I don't know if you remember, South Africa was about six weeks ahead of us in Omicron. We were very worried about whether there were, were more un, under fives being affected by Omicron. And so we were constantly in conversation with colleagues in South Africa. So I think the style of collaboration, I think, is fantastic because it's shown us how at speed we can start answering questions, um, you know, really using the combined expertise um, that, that's available, but keeping the child at the very centre of all of it. Brilliant. Do you have anything to add with that, David? I think there's a couple of things. I suppose we've, one of the things we haven't talked about is, is the training, and this is uh, partly for trainees as well. We, The college, and it, I wasn't involved in this, but how they had to radically relook at the exams, and the, the, the way they were doing those, that's a that's a, probably a podcast in itself that uh, you might want to follow up on. But one of the things I tried to set up here was very aware that, you know, because people are either working or they're not meant to be in work so to reduce, you know, cross-spread of COVID, we tried to set up the All World's Grand Round to, we set that up and that we set up quite quickly within a few weeks on teams and i guess that's a new way of us teaching it doesn't seem new now two years into it but um i think that was quite, you know uh, everyone talked about it for a long while but it never happened so that was quite helpful and i know other colleagues uh, Jensen, uh, see in uh, newcastle did a similar thing in his own area so others i'm not saying it's a, uh, <laughs> i was the only person doing it but if something we, we set up here and i think we're probably going to keep and how we use the best of that um i think it's made me aware of how it's how important it is to get the right decision or the decisions correct and if not go back to people and try and get them to change them and that can be a painfully slow process i would say i i there's a particular one i'm thinking of that i don't really want to refer to in this podcast but trying to influence decisions to get them right first time is really important and trying to keep our links so that you can be trusted in giving your advice and i think that's uh, something we've been tr trying to do we've set up some regular meetings now uh, with, with the World's Government Deputy Health Minister Lynn Eagles, and I think she, I, I hope she trusts our advice because we've been with her, we've said things, and she can build up that relationship over time. And I think that's probably something to, you know, we should try and keep on. And again, that's now facilitated by doing it uh, over teams. It doesn't get everything. You, you don't get the tone always by teams, and if communication or IT issues, as we've experienced today, don't always work. You know, there's a good thing. But actually seeing somebody, that, you know, face to face, you get that uh, subtlety that in human communication, you don't always get over the digital network. But I think mm -hmm. some of those are how we keep the, the advantage to the digital um, as we go forward now it's, it can be quite helpful brilliant one final question david that i thought we, we've, we've picked up in some of the podcasts that we've done already and that was um of the highlights um of new challenges with regard to kind of the the kind of 
the results of the pandemic and that's rising obesity and maybe increased inequalities of health and how do you think as um the college is going to move forward to try and really get on top of that really big questions thanks tom uh there's the worst government has issued its recovery plan just like uh, the, the other four nations have to try and look to the way out of covid and catching up on the work we we haven't done because of all the restrictions of covid and the problems we've had of it uh i think we need to respond to those and i don't know if you were able to listen literally last week's grand round was suggesting part of the new progress plus uh, is to do a public health project one of the things that welsh government issue as do our scottish colleagues and uh, colleagues across the four nations are consultative documents where they might issue on one say healthy weight healthy wales the welsh government's uh, strategy against uh, against sorry to produce healthy weight and healthy in in wales and healthy lifestyles when those documents come out for consultation, if asking trainees, look, be part of this, respond to it, do it. We can do it through Gethin in the Royal College. So we can put a Royal College response together, but you can begin to get an understanding of the public health issues because, you know, you and I work in hospitals who are expensive beasties. We have a lot of money to pay to work here. It's much better if we had, I don't mean sackers, but having for health benefits, having people in the community doing things close to home, health, you know, healthy schools, diet, um, healthy schools, tuck shops, mile a day, all the things which you can bring into the community level to prevent them ever coming near us. Because once, as you know, once people have got overweight, it's often quite hard to shift it and the health, mental health things. If we can try to make sure we're focusing on the, the community issues to strengthen those as much as we can, that's been a message we've carried to Welsh Government in uh, our responses to a variety of different uh, things there. So we I think as time goes on, really encourage juniors and trainees and other consultants to please help us respond to that. It's an important public health issue because I think one of the good things about the college is trying to advocate for children. It does use up time, but it overall can give us a much healthier uh, lifestyle for children if we can get those community things right uh, in, and the college have a view on them where it's right for us to do so. And there are some things perhaps it isn't, but I think where we can advocate for children and the, and the healthy living, that's going to be the right way forward. Yeah, I think a preventative approach and all those yeah, community-based projects would be a fantastic way to try and um, address the balance a little bit. Um, well, thank you very much, uh, David and Camilla, for all of your insights. Um, it's been really useful for us as trainees to get an understanding of the process that you guys all went through. Um, and I just want to thank you really from us um, to, for really making it so clear and making the approach so easy for us to understand. A great pleasure. Been lovely to be with you. Thank you. And I just wanted to say thank you to Tom, to Camilla, and to David for recording that episode for us. I hope you've learnt as much from this COVID series as I have. I know we're still in the midst of the COVID pandemic at the moment, so maybe we'll have more to add to this series later on, but we're going to hold it there for now. Join us again next week for a new episode. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.